Go with me to Philippians chapter number three, and we're going to talk about change. You know, the past few years, we've been focusing in on and exhorting uh, us to think about uh, the need for each of us as born again believers to embrace the transformation process that God wants us to go through. Uh, and we know uh, that to transform means to change, right? And that song says a wonderful change has come over me. Uh, and truly, uh, when you meet Jesus, there should be a change that takes place in your life. When you come to Jesus and truly uh, submit your heart and your will to him. I don't believe that the Bible teaches that we remain the same. Uh, when Jesus touches our heart, it should produce a transformation when we truly pursue him with all our heart, mind and soul. So um, uh, we're going to talk about change because we want that wonderful change to come over us. So we'll start uh, in Philippians chapter number one um, and uh, not chapter one, Philippians chapter number three. Uh, we're getting out uh, uh, reading at verse number one um, and think about this for a second. Um, uh, how many? Uh, thank you, Siri. <laughs> um, how many of y'all have errors in, in your life where you say, well, I want to change, but I don't know how to or I don't have the power to. Do you have an area in your life? You say, man, I wish that right now this was different about me. Oh, so nobody. Come on, let me see your hand. I mean, you got you got an area where you say, man, if that was different, that would be awesome. Right. Uh, the need for change. OK. Uh, as I share with you, you know, we you know, we can uh, go to seminars and conferences. We can go on diets. We can join health clubs. We can become real enthusiastic about what we learn and what we're doing for about two or three weeks. <laughs> then we fall back into the same old rut, same old routine, and we don't change. OK. Uh, again, we may read a self-help book, but the problem with the self-help book is that they tell us what to do, but can't give us the power to do it. All right. Can't give us the power to do it. But for believers, the Bible gives us instruction on what to do. And we have power available to us to give us the strength to do it. OK, so we're going to talk about change. Those areas that you look at in your life, uh, you have the power. Residing on the inside of you to affect that change in your life. Amen. So let's, let's start our reading at verse number one of this text. And let's go to the, if you will, let's go to the New Living Translation uh, for this reading. Uh, and then we'll, we'll refer back to the KJV also. It says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. And I do it to safeguard your faith. Verse two says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Uh, for we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. You, you guys know that there are a group that's known as Judaizers during the early formation of the Christian church where they were still hanging on to the tenets of Judaism. And, you know, uh, under Jewish uh, culture and law, uh, male uh, uh, males were circumcised and circumcised was circumcision was a sign of the covenant. Whereas the New Testament church came along, there were still some who were trying to say that that circumcision was necessary in order for salvation to take place. And so that's why he's, he's calling those 
uh, those mutilators who, who always want people to, to be circumcised, the cutting away of the foreskin. It says, uh, for we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Next verse, verse four, says, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Now, here, here Paul, Paul's giving to say, you know, if, if anybody can brag, I can. Watch this. He says, indeed, if others have reason for their for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. He begins to explain why I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure, pure blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew. If there ever was one, I was a member of the Pharisees who who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. Next verse says, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church and as for righteousness. I obeyed the law without fault. Next verse says this. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. OK, next verse. Read it says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything, counted it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Next verse says what? And become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Look at verse 10. Watch this. What we're going to. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in what? In his death, sharing in his death. KJV says that I may know him and the power of his, his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings be, being made conformable under his death. Now, when we look at this, Paul says he wants to know him and the power of his resurrection. As Paul writes this letter, Paul is already a born again believer, right? But he's, get, he's getting down to that point where he's trying, he's trying to get us to understand and he wants to know Christ in such an intimate way that the power, the resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead, Paul understands that very same power is there to, to embolden us to do some of the things that we don't think we have the power to do in our own strength, in our own intellect. Amen. The power to affect change, everlasting change is available to us. Amen. The same power, we can have that resurrection power. Okay. The word power occurs 57 times in the New Testament and is used to describe the most powerful event that ever happened, the resurrection of Christ from the dead. That same resurrection power is available to change you and I's life. Okay. That same power is there to help us to, to experience that wonderful change that we oftentimes sing about. Amen. Now notice again what Paul says in Philippians 3 and 10. Uh, he says, uh, let, let's go back and read it one more time. Okay. Philippians 3 and 10. Glory to God. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death. Now he says, I want to know Christ and experience that mighty power that raised him from the dead. Okay. Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 through 20, okay? Hallelujah. Ephesians 1, 19 through 20 says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power 
for us who believe. Now, listen to what he says. The incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. This is the same mighty power, the power for us who believe, the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Let's go back to verse number 19. Watch what verse 19 says. I also pray, here's Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. This is the same mighty power, come on, verse that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realm. Okay? Now again, Paul here uses the Greek word for power, which is dunamis, D-U-N-A-M-I-S, dunamis, which is the root of our word dynamite. So Paul is saying here, God wants to give you and I dynamite power that can change our lives. That same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to help change our lives. Okay? That same power is available to us right now to transform the weaknesses in our lives into strength. The Bible describes resurrection power as the power to, number one, cancel our past, number two, conquer our problems, and number three, change our personality. Repeat that with me. Say, cancel my past, help me conquer my problems, and help change my personality. Now, how many of y'all will admit that there's some aspects of your personality, no matter how sweet you are, that need some changing? How many of y'all, if you look at yourself or you ask somebody who knew you real well, they could tell you some things and say, well, I love you and you're a great person. I'm glad to be married to you. I'm glad to be in the same household with you, but I would like to see this change. Really, I don't have any of those things, do I? <laughs> I mean, all of us have personality traits. We have uh, personality bents that need to be changed. And sometimes we struggle with stuff for years upon years upon years and, and, and we don't allow the resurrection power to begin to infiltrate our lives to help us transform so that it cancels our past, conquers our problems and changes our personality. But that power is there to help us. OK, so what 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 does resurrection power do? What does it do? OK, um, let's go down here and let's talk about it for a second. What resurrection power does. Number one, resurrection power will cancel our past, okay? What, 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 what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, you know, all of us have uh, past failures, right? Past mistakes, past sins, past regrets. And, 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 and those are things that, that if we are not careful, they will hang over our heads. Remember, we've been talking about on Sunday morning about uh, some of the wounds of the past and some of the things that, that happened in our life that prevent us from being very relational in the way that God desires for us to be relational. So, so because if, if we're going to be relational, that means that we build a relationship with people and we build a relationship with people in order for us to be able to be in a position to disciple people. If I, if I, if I uh, am hesitant about connecting with people, then I'm not going to be able to be used by God to help disciple someone, right? Because usually, guys, when you're, when you're in the mode uh, and you've been strengthened enough in your walk with the Lord where you can be in a position to disciple someone, that means that God can entrust uh, the, the treasure and the truth of the gospel message with you. He entrusts you to share that and to live that out before somebody. 
Okay? And so, but if you want, if you are, are hesitant about meeting new people, right? If you're hesitant about engaging with people who you may, you may already know, but going to a deeper level, then you, if, if you are hesitant about doing that, and, and, and for whatever reason don't feel like you can, then you're not going to be in a position to really be an effective person who can help disciple somebody else. Are you, are you following me today? Okay? So God's power, amen, will, will cancel our past. Because sometimes our past mistakes, our past singings, our past regrets uh, can put us in a position where we feel like we're not worthy to even be in a position to disciple somebody else. And so I'm glad that God's power can cancel our past. You know, failures, problems, bad decisions, we all have suffered from them, right? We've all made choices and decisions that we wish we could have had back. But some people just can't seem to let go of the past, and as a result, they let their past limit their present. They let their past limit their present opportunities. They live in a constant state of regret, constantly rehashing those bad choices or bad decisions. And that's what the enemy will try to do. The enemy will try to keep your past before your face. Why does he do that? He does that to prevent you from progressing in God. So those past bad choices and decisions you made, he'll keep bringing them up. But here's what we got to understand. God's power cancels all that out. The Bible says he cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. And I'm glad that I can, I'm glad that God is not still holding stuff over my head that I did 10 years ago. Are you glad? Are you glad that God doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't just, just keep bringing our stuff up before us? Because how many of y'all got some stuff that you really don't want to be brought up anymore? (laughs) All right. So God doesn't do that. He, this resurrection power, amen, it, it cancels our past. Go with me to Colossians, the second chapter right quick. Colossians chapter number two. Okay. Colossians two, verse 13 and 14. Let's look at it right quick. Glory to God. Guys, if y'all could put my time on it, that would help me know where I am. Hallelujah. Colossians chapter number two, verse 13 through 14. Let's read. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave some of your sins. All your sins, right? Look at the next verse. It says what? He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by doing what? By doing what? By nailing it to the cross. I like the way the KJV reads. He says, blotting out, blotting out. Uh, the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And verse 15 says this, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphant over them in it. Amen. God said that it's unnecessary for us to go around with the heavy load of guilt and old hurts and memories of past mistakes. Notice that in these verses, he says he has forgiven all of our sins and canceled every record of the debt we had to pay. He did it by allowing Christ to be nailed to the cross. I am so glad that Jesus Christ went to the cross 
of Calvary for my sins. He hung, bled, and died so that I could have a right to interface with the Holy God. And so me knowing that puts me in a better position to face life today. And I don't have to, I don't have to still uh, regurgitate and, and think on those past mistakes any longer because God cast them as far as the east is from the west. Jesus knows the things we have done wrong. But I like what Rick Warren said. He says, he didn't come to rub them in. He came to rub them out. Can I repeat that? I like that. He said, he didn't come to rub them in. He came to rub them out. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to change us. How many of y'all, when y'all were growing up, uh, maybe the young kids may not even know anything about this, but how many of y'all know what an etching sketch pad is? Y'all know what an etching sketch pad is? It's a little, little deal where you could turn the knobs. Y'all, y'all know anything about that? And you could, and if you could make a design or whatever, but uh, if that design was not what you wanted, you could just do what? Shake it, and it cleans it up, right? And you can start all over again. That's kind of what God does with us. Some, you know, there are times when, we, when we're messing up, we're going the wrong way, and we ask God to forgive us. He cleanses us. He shakes it, wipes the slate clean. We can start all over again. That's good for us to know because uh, many times the enemy will try to tell us that what we did in the past is preventing us from being greater in the future. And that's not accurate. Amen. God changes us. Amen. By forgiving us of our sin. I like what God said to the Israelites. In Jeremiah 31, 34, he says, he will remember their sins no more. When we come to God, admit our sins and ask him to forgive us, he cancels our past. That's, that's significant. Amen. God chooses to forget our wrongs, our mistakes and our failure. That's good news, folks. Amen. He, you know, how is it that God can cancel your past? You may be asking, what is the basis of this forgiveness? Well, when Jesus died, one of his last statements from the cross was, it is finished over in John 19 and 30. That phrase consists of just one word in the Greek. Uh, and I'm going to try to, I'll just spell it. It's T-E-T-E-L-E-S-T-A-A. Tetelestate. Is that good enough? Tetaleste, okay? That Greek word tetaleste literally means paid in full, canceled. It was the word that merchants wrote on bills when they were paid in full. And it was the word stamped on a document declaring that a prison sentence had been commuted. Jesus says this is what he did on the cross for us. He paid the price in full for every sin we have ever committed. Look at what Romans one and one, one, Romans eight and one says. Go to Romans the eight chapter verse number one. See, he, he he said it's finished. It's paid in full. I want to ask y'all a question. When a bill is paid in full, how, how many of y'all how many of y'all paid your electric bill uh, in June? How many of y'all, if you don't have average monthly bill, and remember how much that bill was? We got one. How many of y'all remember what that bill was in 2017? 2018? When that bill is paid in full, you forget about it and move on to the next one, right? See, when God paid the price, amen, for our sins and he forgives us of our sins, he cast it in the sea of forgiveness to be remembered no more. Don't allow the enemy to bring that pass up to prevent you from being that change agent that God wants you to be in the earth realm today. Can I get a witness? He paid the price. He said it is finished. All right, look at, look at Romans 8, verse 1 with me right quick. 
He says, so now there is no condemnation for those who what belong to Christ Jesus. Go, go, into, go back to Philippians the third chapter. Look at verse number 13 and 14 with me right quick. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. So we start off by saying that resurrection power will cancel our past. Because of the resurrection power that abides on the inside of us and made available to us, our past does not have to have a hold on our future. Amen? Watch this. It says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Okay? Now, guys, we can short-circuit God's power in our lives by not believing that God has truly forgiven us or by choosing not to forgive ourselves. How many of y'all ever done something uh, that, that you, 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 you found it difficult to even forgive yourself of the thing that you've done? Anybody ever been there before? And, and the enemy would love to keep that over your head. But know and understand this, that if we're going to move forward, we got to make sure we understand that resurrection power cancels our past. Not that we overlook it or take it lightly, but what we understand is that when we ask God to forgive us, he will forgive us. He, he, God's power is, that power is that power that will cancel our past. Amen. We don't have to no longer sweat over that and know that God is going to do great things in us even today because he forgives us. Okay. So the second thing we want to look at is God's power will conquer our problems. How many of y'all got problems? Everybody got problems, right? All of us have problems to solve in our life, right? Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's part of living in this fallen world. The real problem is what we do with our problems. Invariably, we try to solve them with our own power. If I were to ask most people who come here on Sunday mornings, what is the first thing that you do when you have a problematic situation, a problem that needs to be solved? Probably... Uh, most people will say, well, I, you know, I, I, I put my thinking cap on, I, I figure out how to solve that problem. Well, shouldn't it be that the first thing that we do before we even step out to do anything is to seek counsel from God first? But you'd be surprised at the number of believers who don't go to God first and they go to God as a last resort. Well, you know, we don't try everything else. We might as well pray. What kind of attitude is that? we we put God in this position where we only call on him when we've exhausted all of the avenues. And God is saying, that I'm here and I'm available to help you conquer your problems. Go with me right quick to Romans 8, chapter verse number 35 through 37. How do we know when we're trying to solve our problems with our own strength? Well, when you're tired all the time. You see, when you get tired and you're worried all the time, that means you're trying to do it in your own strength. All of us have issues. All of us have problems. But God wants us to stop trying and start trusting him with our problems. Stop trying and start trusting. Look at the neighbor and say, neighbor, stop trying and start trusting. Okay? Look at Romans 8, 35. It says, well, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Watch this, read this around, listen carefully. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Look at 36, it says what? 
as the scriptures say, for, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. 37, let's go. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus. Who what? Overwhelming victory is what? It's ours through Christ Jesus who loves us. Uh, KJV reads this way in verse number 37. It says this way, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Okay, through him that loved us. So now as we look down through here, uh, understand this, uh, that God's power will help us to conquer our problems. Acts four, the fourth chapter of Acts records the first serious opposition to the apostles preaching of the gospel in Jerusalem. And notice what they prayed in verse number 29 of Acts, the fourth chapter. Go to Acts chapter number four, verse number 29. Acts four, verse number 29. Notice what they prayed in verse number 29 here. God's power will conquer our problems. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may do what? They, they may what? Speak thy word okay now they, they pray for what boldness so guys listen to me we you know if, if the apostles pray for boldness we ought to pray for boldness also because when we're going about doing this christian life we're going to be we're going to face opposition when you're being when you're being serious about your commitment with the lord when you've been serious about being a christian who's living out your faith you're going to face opposition so all of us need spiritual boldness to be able to counteract those things that are coming against us. Are y'all with me today? So God's power will conquer our problems. The third thing we see is that God's power will change our personality. It'll change our personality, okay? Resurrection power enables us to cancel our past, conquer our problems, but that's not all it does. It also helps to change our personality. And that's what we're ultimately trying to get to. We're talking about change because all of us uh, have errors in our life that need change, right? When we're, when we're, when we're allowing God to, to, to take us to a place that we don't even think that we can go, there, there are some things that God wants to do in us, amen, that many of us sitting here right now don't, don't really see how God's going to do that. We've been talking about the children of Israel on Sunday morning and how God had a place prepared for them. And he says, every place that your foot treads upon, I've already given it to you. But yet and still, an entire generation failed to inherit what God says is already yours. Listen, don't ever be guilty of not walking in the blessings that God has prepared for you. Don't ever find yourself guilty of falling short of what God says. It's yours. It's available if you'll only trust me and believe. See, God is waiting on us to trust him. Okay, so so how do we get that, Pastor? How, you know, resurrection power enables us, I said, to cancel our past and conquer our problems, but it, and it also helps change our personality. Well, how does God do that? God uses a process. Everybody say process. Uh, You've heard me quote, uh, uh, you know, a lot of commentators talk about Nick Saban and Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, that's that's going to be a good game this, this weekend, so y'all get your popcorn ready and sit down. Brother Danny, I know you're going to be watching it. But Nick Saban has a, no, you know, in, at, in Alabama, you may come in as a five-star recruit and may not play to your third or fourth year there. But they have a process that they take young guys and they build them up. 
Now, every now and then you have one of those special ones like that quarterback, Tua, what is his name? Tagovailoa. Amen. He, he, he played as a freshman, but, but by and large, if you go to Alabama, there's a process involved to where you have to go through and submit yourself to the training process, and in three or four years, you come out ready to play ball. All right? See, I believe God has a training process for us, too. He brings us in, and he begins to nurture and to develop us. Go with me to 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, very familiar passage of Scripture. The first step is when we turn our heart over to Jesus and become a new creature in Christ, the process begins. It begins when we turn our hearts over to Jesus, okay? We're not the same anymore. We are new creatures. Is it therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. What? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are what? Become new. We've been born again. We're not the same anymore. Now, we look the same, right? Because, again, we're three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. Our outward body does not change. We're still the same, correct? Physically speaking. But internally, there is a new creation. We are new in Christ. Our spirit man has been what? Reborn. Can I get a witness? Are y'all with me? Okay. Uh, so, so our spirit man is reborn. We, we get an opportunity to start afresh. It's a new beginning, not the end of the journey. It's the beginning of the journey. It amazes me how, how sometimes the church and church members can be critical of new converts. Because new converts uh, still got a, a, a lot of baggage. Just like when you first got saved, uh, there are some things that change immediately, but there's a whole lot of stuff that you still have to work on and allow the Holy Spirit to work on you to affect that change we're talking about. Correct? Anybody got some stuff that God's still working on you? Come on, now talk to me. You still got some stuff that God is trying to work out of you? Huh? Am I right about it? You still got some ways that you brought into this Christian life. You're saved. You gave your heart to Jesus. But there's still some things you got to allow the Holy Spirit to flesh out. Right? That change we're talking about, the process that God is trying to take us through. Okay? The, uh, you, know, uh, you know, when we look at this thing, only one thing will keep you and I from changing and becoming the person uh, that God wants us to be. And that's us. We, we, we are our worst enemy, guys. But God wants to create that wonderful change. And the change process involves a partnership. Go with me to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The change process involves a partnership. Okay? It involves a partnership. Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse number 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, uh, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. Now these nine qualities describe the character of a fruitful, productive Christian. Okay? Uh, I want to ask you a question. Uh, let's go back and read again. Go, go back to verse number 22 and, and read through 23. It says what? But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, Faith, against us there is no law. Now this comes on the tail end of them having talking about the works of the flesh. If you go back uh, um, uh, into verse number 19, let's go back to verse number 19. It says, now the works of the flesh are manifest. Manifest means made known. Which are these, adultery, fornication, 
uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, a lot of them in uh, revelings, and such like, of which I've told you before, as I've told you in the time past, that they which do such things should not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, how many of the people you work with or live with would say those fruit of the spirit qualities describe you? How many of the people who know you real well will say, you know, Tiffany is really long suffering? Yeah. How many would say, you know, Tiffany is, uh, yeah, she, she's, I, I tell you, she's really gentle. Tiffany is meek. Tiffany walks in faith. Tiffany has peace. She don't let anything bother. She's settled in Jesus Christ. How many people would say that, Tiffany? Don't, yeah, that, that, you don't have to ask. That's, that's a rhetorical question. You don't have to ask. Mac, how many people tell, say Mac, Mac is a man of, of, of long-suffering. He, he gives you the benefit of the doubt. Mac is a man who walks in faith. How many would say that, Tony? How many would say that, Bobby? How, how, the, the fruit of the Spirit should describe our personality bent as born-again believers. Now, all of us know that there, there are some of these we say, well, Pastor, I'm coming up a little short on. Right? <laughs> But the question is, you know, when that question is asked, unfortunately, too many times, rather than loving others, we, we can be unloving sometimes. Huh? Rather than living joyously, you know, we can feel defeated or depressed or discouraged. Rather than experiencing peace, we, we, we feel uptight and pressured about stuff. You know, we're allowing the cares of this life to just overcome us. Rather than being patient... Sometimes we can be easily frustrated and irritated, right? But again, change, the type of change that God wants to see in our life will, will, will involve us, amen, letting the fruit of the Spirit just exude out of us. Because when people see us, when people are around us, they need to see the fruit of the Spirit operating in us, amen? Can I get a witness? So, so, so when, whenever I ask somebody who knows you, would they be saying that you're patient or would they say you, you get irritated and frustrated real easy? Uh, are you one that rather than showing kindness, you know, it's like, you know, you're saying to hell with it. I don't care what you say. What, what, what kind of person are you? Okay. The fruit of the spirit should be operating in us. Instead of being faithful, we neglect our commitments to, to the Lord a lot of times. So God, God wants to change us. He wants us to begin to practice self-control and, 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 and not just lose it every time somebody says something that makes us mad or get us upset, okay? The, 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 these, these are the contrasts between letting the power of God work in our lives and relying on our own power. When we rely on our own power, we don't see that fruit of the Spirit being prevalent in our lives quite often. And so God wants us to change, okay? Everybody say change. One thing we got to remember, the fruit of the spirit isn't something that we work up. It's something that God produces in us when we fully trust him with our lives. So how do, how, how do, we, get to, how do we get these character qualities in? Well, it's obvious that, that God doesn't just zap us one day and all of a sudden we have all these qualities uh, showing up in our everyday life, right? He uses the process, the process. Go with me to Philippians 2, second chapter again. Go, go with me to, uh, to verse number 12 and 13. Philippians 2. Verse number 12 and 13. Glory to God. 
Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. Look what it says. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in, as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13. For it is God with what? Which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Here the Apostle Paul describes the two-part process that God uses. Notice he first says, work out your salvation. And then he turns around and says, it is God who works in you. Now, if you first read that, it sounds like a contradiction, but it's really not. Amen. It's a paradox. Paul oftentimes uses paradoxes in his writing. What is a paradox? A paradox is a statement or proposition that seems contradictory on the surface or seems absurd, but in reality, it expresses the truth. He says, work out the salvation. He said, let God work in you. Now, the key to understanding this paradox is this little word out in verse number 12. Both Paul doesn't say work for your salvation, but he says work it out. If I say work it out. To work for something means to earn it, to deserve it, or to merit it. The Bible clearly teaches that salvation is not something that we can earn on our own, right? It's not something that we work for. It's a free gift of God's grace that we receive. Paul says work out your salvation. Paul is talking about a spiritual workout. How many of y'all work out physically from time to time? Anybody? How many of y'all walk? Do weights? How many of y'all don't do nothing? Run? We got any runners and walkers? Okay. Um, when you work out, <laughs> you, 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 what you're doing is you, 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 you're conditioning this physical body. When, when the Bible says work out your salvation with fear and trembling, what he's saying is there is a transformation that took place when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. That change took place. It's in your spirit, man. And what he's saying is, uh, as we grow and as we develop, that salvation, that transformation that took place on the inside has to be worked to the outside. It has to come to the outside to where we're, what happens on the inside is being reflective in what we do on the outside. Because otherwise, people on the outside won't know that there's a change that took place on the inside, right? So he says, work it out. In other words, allow, amen, your, your, your new nature to begin to take hold and to dominate your old nature. How many of y'all know that your old nature still exists? And given half a chance, it'll, it'll resurrect itself and try to take over. So he's saying, work it out. Work that salvation out. What's on the inside needs to be cultivated and begin to be developed so it can be shown on the outside. Are y'all with me today? Okay. It's a partnership as we are working together with Christ Jesus. So work out your salvation. Amen. We got to work it out and let others see it on the inside of us. So what are the tools that God uses to get us to that point? Okay. Are y'all still with me today? What are the tools that God uses? Let's go through it right quick. Well, number one, God uses his word because what he's trying to do is affect change in us. And we have resurrection power available to help us to change. God uses, number one, he uses his word. The first tool he uses in changing us is the Bible. Through scripture, he teaches us how to live. Go to this familiar passage of scripture. Go to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And let's look at that from the NLT, if you will. Pop it up on the NLT. I like the way it reads in the NLT. Thank you so much. 
Glory to God. Watch this now. Y- y'all, we read this all the time. But I want this to sink into your heart and your mind. Because if God uses the tool of the word to change us, but you never engage with the word, how do you expect to change? That's why in many of our churches, we see people who are coming to have church. We're all, we're going to have some good church. It's not about having good church. It's about coming to learn so that the word of God can, can begin to, to work its transformative power on the inside of you. But if you never engage it, that too will not be useful for you. Okay? God uses his word. Watch what it says here. All scripture, read with me. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. God uses it. What is it? The word, the Bible. He uses it to prepare and equip his people. To do every good work. Now, guys, this is why as, as your pastor, I keep harping on the need for us to 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 engage scripture, because I know that God uses the word to prepare us and equip us to do every good work. Well, if people are not being prepared, we're not going to do the good work, not be effective anyhow. So that's why prayer meeting, Bible study, Sunday school, men's ministry, that type of thing, those small group settings where we sit down and decipher the word of God, it'll help us because the word will transform our thinking. Go, to, go back to verse 16 with me right quick. God uses the word, amen, he uses the word to help transform us. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Because we don't ordinarily by natural uh, uh, inclination uh, will we'll understand what is what is wrong in our life. We oftentimes think that we're right because most of us, it, it, well, not most of us, all of us come into the, this world somewhat selfish. Because we're concerned about ourselves and making sure that we're okay by and large. Okay. So God has to get us from being self-centered to being Christ-centered. And so he uses the word to help us realize what is wrong in our life. The word corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what's right. So that's why it's critically important that you as a born-again believer, when you're dealing with other believers or family members, let the word be the standard of truth in your life. Go to the word. Now, again, I, I got enough sense to know that there are a lot of people who you interface with that don't care what the Bible says. They're not reading the Bible, and they don't. you can quote scripture to them all day long. They don't even believe the Bible is God's word, so that's not going to help them. I'm talking to born-again believers who've accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior and who believe in the inerrancy of the word of God. This is the standard of truth for us in this church. This is what we'll use to decide what's right and what's wrong. And that's what you, as a born-again believer, have to utilize in your own individual life to to. to to make sure that you, you're doing what God wants you to do and God will use that word to transform you, to change you because it'll, it'll correct you when you're, when you're wrong and teach you to do what's right. Okay, so God uses his word. Second thing it does, God uses his spirit. The second tool that he uses to change us is the Holy Spirit. When we commit ourselves to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives to empower and to direct us. Okay? The spirit of God gives us new strength and energy and the desire and the power to do what is right. Go to Romans, the eight chapter, verses nine and 10, nine, 10, 11. 
Romans 8, 9, 10, 11 right quick. His spirit. Now, guys, let me say this right quick. Whenever you are born again, the spirit of Christ, a man takes up residence in you. Because if a man doesn't have the spirit of Christ, he's not, he doesn't belong to God. So all of us, when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, have the, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. But as Brother, uh, 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 Brother Shepherd told us the other Sunday, uh, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means to be controlled by the Spirit. Not just have the abiding presence of the Spirit. Because when I'm controlled by the Spirit, when I allow God to fill me, when I yield my will to his will and the Spirit of God fills me, then now I'm empowered to do what's right. I'm empowered to overcome my flesh because I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm being controlled by the Holy Spirit, okay? And again, as we oftentimes say, our, our concept of the Holy Spirit has to change. So many of us grew up with a warped concept of what the Holy Spirit and his ministry is all about. He's the third person of the Godhead, amen? It's not an it, but it's a person. He, Holy Spirit, not it. Something didn't get a hold of you. Ho- hopefully he got a hold of you. Are y'all with me today? Watch what the text says. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Verse 11 says what? The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives where? The spirit of God that who raised Christ from the dead, what lives where in you? And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. So God uses his spirit as the spirit of the Lord works within us. We become more and more like him. Look at Colossians three and ten with me right quick. So he uses his word. He uses his spirit. The third thing he uses is circumstances. Everybody say circumstances. Colossians 3 and 10 says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn and and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Put on your new nature, put it on and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. The longer we're saved, guys, the more we should look like Jesus Christ. All right. So 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 the third thing uses circumstance. God's ideal way of changing us is to have us read the word to find out how we should live and then depend on his indwelling Holy Spirit to enable us to do it. But unfortunately, everybody say unfortunately, most of us are stubborn, right? Come on, can we be honest about it? Most of us are stubborn and we don't change very easily, right? Most of us don't change very easily, because we're accustomed to doing life the way we've always done life. Amen? So since we don't change very easily, God brings in a third tool to work on us, and that's circumstances. God will allow problems, pressures, heartaches, difficulties, etc. That always gets our attention. Right? Remember the children of Israel. God had to resort to, to allow them to go into captivity. He had to, he had to allow calamity to come in their life to get them to listen. It's amazing, I said all the time, it's amazing how much more fervent our prayer life becomes, son, when we're going through something. When we got problems, situations, circumstances that are less than ideal, 
it, it tends to heighten our 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 uh, tendency to go to God in prayer even more. So God God will use circumstances to get us where we need to be. Go to Romans the eight chapter verse twenty and twenty nine. Come on, let's we'll move. Romans eight twenty eight and twenty nine. Here's what you need to understand. Nothing, everybody say nothing. Nothing can come into the life of a believer without the heavenly father allowing it. I want you to think about that for a second. Nothing can come into your life. Sickness, disease, um, uh, you know, whatever you're dealing with, financial trouble, nothing can come into your life without the heavenly father allowing it. He's a sovereign God. If God allows it, then that means that he's willing to use it. To help change us. Right? Look at this right quick. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Look at 29. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So go back to 28 again. Read it one more time. 28 says this. Uh, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. So can you really, can you really trust that? Do you really think, do you really believe that God is working everything together for your good? I, 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 think about that for a second. Whatever happens in your life, not in isolation, but together, God will put it together to work it out for your good. Do you really trust that? That's what Paul says here in Romans. Do you really trust that God is working those circumstances out for your good? Okay. Now, uh, the interesting thing about God, about how God uses circumstances is that the source of the circumstance, I'll tell you this before, makes no difference to him. The source may be the enemy, but God will use what the enemy did to build you. Can I get a witness? The source makes no difference. We often bring problems on ourselves by bad decisions, bad judgment, sin, and oftentimes our problems are caused by other people. Sometimes the devil causes things to happen to us like he did with Job. But God says the source of the circumstance doesn't matter. He will still use it in your life. Did y'all catch that? The source doesn't matter. God says that's available for me to use to work on you, to change you. So he uses circumstances, okay? He uses that to help change us. Go to Proverbs 20 and 30 right quick. Now, guys, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Would y'all agree? One, one, one author put it this way, we are not as likely to change when we see the light as when we feel the heat. <laughs> I like that. He says, he says, we are not as likely to change when we see the light as when we feel the heat. Why? Because we change only when the fear of change is exceeded by our pain. Okay? Can I get a witness? Let me read that last part. Because we change only a lot, oftentimes when the fear of change is exceeded by our pain. How many of y'all know that maybe something's going on in your body, but you didn't go to the doctor until it hurt so bad you couldn't stand it no more? Anybody, anybody like that? You only go until it, I'm kind of that way too. It, it, it's got to be about, my arm got to be about to fall off before I go to the doctor. And the, and the pain of, of, of not going becomes greater 
than the pain of going and sitting down there and getting, getting the thing checked out. Okay, so we got we got to be careful. But watch what the text says here. Proverbs twenty and thirty. Physical punishment cleanses away evil. Such discipline does what? Purifies the heart. Physical punishment cleanses away evil. Such discipline purifies what? The heart. God can use every situation in our lives for our growth. Okay? That's his part. Okay? So what's our part? Well, look, look at this right. Choices that bring change. Look at these three choices. Last thing we're going to go over right quick. Y'all still with me? All right. Let's read it right quick. Uh, first thing, we must choose our thoughts. We got to choose our thoughts. Spiritual growth is not automatic. Change is a matter of choice. Everybody say change is a matter of choice. We can't just passively sit around doing nothing and expect to grow. First, we got to carefully choose what we think about. Proverbs uh, 4 and 23. Pop that up right quick. Proverbs 4 and 23. Let me me say this right quick. If you're going to change your life, you got to change your thought patterns. Change always begins with new thinking. And sometimes we don't get new thinking until we get new information, right? Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Read it out loud with me. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Okay? Change always begins with new thinking. Let's go, go to the next one right quick, okay? Um, we must depend upon his what? We got to depend upon his spirit. Let's go to John 15 and 5 right quick. How many of y'all know that the way we think determines the way we feel? And the way we feel determines the way we act. Did y'all know that? So if you want to change your actions, you got to go back to the source and change the way you think. Amen? So our thinking got to change. Thinking got to change. Look at what John 15 and 5 says. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can't do anything. That's what Jesus said. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We depend on his spirit. See, Jesus Christ on the inside of us, the Holy Spirit abiding, because the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ are, are, the, are part of the Godhead, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if Jesus is on the inside of us, we got to depend on him. He says, apart from me, you can't do nothing. Why are you trying to do life by yourself? Why are you trying to make all these decisions without consulting God or or, or other counselors, because the Bible says in the multitude of in the multitude of counselors, there's what safety. Quit trying to do it all on your own. Depend on the Holy Spirit and 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 God and, and people who God has given wisdom to to help you go through some things. Okay, so we got to make sure that we got to depend on His Spirit. Okay, Jesus compares our spiritual life to a vine and its branches. Okay, that illustration is so true because. You, know, you cannot survive without being connected, amen, to the true vine. Amen? That branch can't survive. Number three, we must respond wisely to circumstances. Go to Romans 5. We got to depend on his spirit and we got to respond wisely to circumstances. Guys, as we close this out, understand this. We can't control um, um, every situation that happens in our life. Okay, we can't control it. I'm gonna read this, and we're gonna stop right here, and we'll pick up on next week. Okay, uh, we can't control every circumstances in our life. Um, 
We don't even know uh, what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what news you're going to get tomorrow that could devastate you or change or transform your life. And we can't control our circumstances, but we can't control how we respond to them. You, can, you can't control how you respond to that news. You can't control how you respond to that person. You can't control that person. So how many of y'all have ever tried to control another person before? In other words, you, you tried to make them be a certain way. And, 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 and after a period of time, you're going to realize you can't control nobody. Especially when you're grown. I'm talking, I ain't talking about the children. I'm talking about grown people. So, so you can't control the person, but you can control how you respond to them. Okay? Look at the text says. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop what? They help us develop what? They help us develop what? And endurance does what? Develop strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of what? Of salvation. Read verse 3 again, 3 and 4. Let's read it one more time. Three, verse 3, one more time. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us do what? Develop endurance. So problems and trials will help us develop what? Endurance. That stick to it. That ability to stand tall even when things are swirling all around us. It helps us. And endurance develops what? Strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Okay? So guys, you know, when we, when we look at this thing, again, we can't control all the circumstances in our lives. And we don't know what's going to happen to, tomorrow or even today. We can't control our circumstances, but we can control how we respond to them. Okay? We can re- control how we respond to them. Okay? God wants to produce the character of Christ in our lives because he knows that the more we become like him, the more fulfilled we are going to be. Key key fact here, God produces the fruit of the spirit in us by allowing us to encounter situations and people with characteristics that are exactly the opposite of the fruit of the spirit. So God's going to allow you to run into folk who who not exhibit the fruit of the spirit. And part of that is, is to get you and I to change to love people beyond how they act. Okay? Are y'all with me today? Okay, so we're going to cut off there tonight, and then we'll look at on, on, on next week, we'll talk about three kinds of peace, and then we'll roll into this next section. Okay, so God wants to change us. Y'all know that, right? He, he doesn't want us to remain the same. He wants us to be like Jesus. The more we're, longer we're saved, the more we should be like Christ. So uh, let's, 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 let's anticipate that wonderful change taking place in our life, and let God help us get to where he wants us to be. Amen. Come on, get the Lord a hand of praise. God.